Chapter 7 of Masters of Space. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R.J. Davis. Masters of Space by Edward Elmer Smith, a.k.a. E.E. E. Doc Smith, and Edward Everett Evans. Translated by Robert Conantetti, Stephen Blundell, and the online distributed proofreading team. Chapter 7 Knowing that he had done everything he could to help the most important investigations get underway, Hilton turned his attention to secondary matters. He made arrangements to decondition Javo, the number two Omen boss, whereupon that worthy became Javi and promptly bumped the Omen who had been shadowing Carr. Larry and Javi, working nights, deconditioned all the other omens having any contact with Busai personnel. Then they went on to set up a routine for deconditioning all omens on both planets. Assured at last that the omens would thenceforth work with and really serve human beings instead of insisting upon doing their work for them, Hilton knew that the time had come to let all his Busai personnel move into their homes ground. Everyone, including himself, was fed up to the gozzle with spaceship life. Its jam-packed crowding, its flat reprocessed air, its limited variety of uninteresting food. Conditions were especially irksome, since everybody knew that there was available to all, whenever Hilton gave the word, a whole city full of all the room anyone could want natural fresh air, and, so the omens had told them, an unlimited choice of everything anyone wanted to eat. Nevertheless, the decision was not an easy one to make. Living conditions were admittedly not good on the ship. On the other hand, with almost no chance at all of solitude, the few people who had private offices aboard were not the ones he worried about. There was no danger of sexual trouble. Strictly speaking, he was not responsible for the morals of his force. He knew that he was being terribly old-fashioned. Nevertheless, he could not argue himself out of the conviction that he was morally responsible. Finally, he took the thing up with Sandra, who merely laughed at him. How long have you been worrying about that, Jarv? Ever since I okayed moving aground the first time. That was one reason I was so glad to cancel it then. You were slightly unclear, a little rattled. But which factor? The fun and games, which is a moral issue, or the consequences? The consequences, he admitted with a rueful grin. I don't give a whoop how much fun they have, but you know as well as I do just how prudish public sentiment is, and Project Theta Orinus is squarely in the middle of the public eye. You should have checked with me sooner and saved yourself wear and tear. There's no danger at all of consequences, except weddings, lots of weddings, and fast. Weddings and babies wouldn't bother me a bit, nor interfere with the job too much, with the omens of nurses, but why the fast? If you aren't anticipating any shotgun weddings, 
female psychology, she replied with a grin. Aboard ship here, there's no home atmosphere whatever. Nothing but work, work, work. Put a woman into a house, though, especially such houses as the Omens have built, and with such servants as they insist on being, and she goes domestic in a really big way. Just sex isn't good enough anymore. She wants a kind of love that goes with a husband and a home. And nine times out of ten, she gets it. With these Bucci women, it'll be ten out of ten. You may be right, of course, but it sounds kind of far-fetched to me. Wait and see, chum, Sandra said with a laugh. Hilton made his announcement and everyone moved aground the next day. No one, however, had elected to live alone. Almost everyone had chosen to double up, the most noteworthy exceptions being twelve laboratory girls who had decided to keep on living together. However, they now had a twenty-room house instead of a one-room dormitory to live in, and a staff of twenty Omen girls to help them do it. Hilton had suggested that Temple and Teddy, whose house was only a hundred yards or so, from the Hilton Carnes bungalow, should have supper and spend the first evening with them. But the girls had knocked that idea flat. Much better, they thought, to let things ride as nearly as possible exactly as they had been aboard the Perseus. A little smooching now and then on the queue, strictly tea. But that's all, darling. That's positively all. Temple had said after a highly satisfactory ten minutes alone with him, in her own gorgeously private room, and that was the way it had to be. Hence, it was a stag inspection that Hilton and Carnes made of their new home. It was very long, very wide, and for its size, very low. Four of its five rooms were merely adjuncts to its tremendous living room. There was a huge fireplace at each end of this room, in each of which a fire of four-foot-long fir cord wood crackled and snapped. There was a great hi-fi tri-dye, with over a hundred tapes, all new. Yes, sirs, Larry and Javi spoke in unison. The players and singers who entertained the masters of old have gone back to work. They will also, of course, appear in person whenever and wherever you wish. Both men looked around the vast room, and Karn said, All the comforts of home, and a couple of bucks worth besides. Wall-to-wall -wall carpeting an inch and a half thick. A grand piano, easy chairs and loafers and davenports. Very fine reproductions of our favorite paintings, and statuary. You said it, brother. Hilton was bending over a group in bronze. If I didn't know better... I'd swear this is the original Dehaven dance of the nymphs. Carnes had marched up to and was examining minutely a two-by-three-foot painting in a heavy gold frame of a gorgeously auburn-haired nude. Reproduction, hell! This is a duplicate. Lawrence's Innocent is worth twenty million wogs and it's sealed behind quad-armor glass in prime art. But I'll bet Wogs the Wiggles, the prime curator himself, with all his apparatus, couldn't tell this one from his. I wouldn't take even one Wiggles worth of that, 
and this laughing cavalier and this Toledo are twice as old and twice as fabulously valuable. And there are my own golf clubs. Excuse us, sir, the omen said. These things were simple because they could be induced in your minds, but the matter of a staff could not, nor what you would like to eat for supper, and it is growing late. Staff? What the hell has the staff got to do with? How staff, they mean, Karn said. We don't need much of anybody, boys. Somebody to keep the place shipshape is all. Or, as a deluxe touch, how about a waitress? One housekeeper and one waitress. That'll be finer. Very well, sirs. There is one other matter. It has troubled us that we have not been able to read in your minds the logical datum that they should in fact simulate Dr. Bells and Dr. Blake. Huh? Both men gasped and then both exploded like one twelve-inch length of primacork. While the omens could not understand this purely Terran reasoning, they accepted the decision without a demurring thought. Who, then, are the two it's to simulate? No stipulation, roll your own, Hilton said and glanced at Carnes. None of these omen women are really hard on the eyes. Check. Anyone who wouldn't call any one of them a slurpy dish needs a new set of optic nerves. In that case, the omen said, no delay at all will be necessary, as we can make do with one temporarily. The Sori, no longer Sora, who has not been glad since the Thule replaced it, is now in your kitchen. It comes. A woman came in and stood quietly in front of the two men. The wafted air carrying from her clear, smooth skin a faint but unmistakable fragrance of Idaho Mountain Syringa. She was radiantly happy. Her bright, deep green eyes went from man to man. You wish, sirs, to give me your orders verbally? And yes, you may order fresh, whole, not canned. Hen's eggs. I certainly will, then. I haven't had a fried egg since we left Terra. But, Larry said, You aren't sorry. Oh, but I am, sir. Carnes had been staring her, eyes popping. Holy St. Patrick! Talk about simulation, Jarv. They made her over into Lawrence's Innocent exactly to twenty decibels. You're so right. Hilton's eyes went, half a dozen times, from the form of flesh to the painting and back. That must have been a terrific job. Oh, no. It was quite simple, really, Sorry said. Since the brain was not involved, I merely reddened my hair and lengthened it, made my eyes to be green, changed my face a little, pulled myself in a little around here, her beautifully manicured hand swept the full circle of her waistline, then continued to demonstrate appropriately the rest of her speech. And pushed me out a little up here, and tapered my legs a little more, 
made them a little larger and rounder here at my hips and thighs and a little smaller toward and at my ankles. Oh, yes, and made my feet and hands a little smaller. That's all. I thought that Dr. Carnes would like me a little better this way. You can broadcast that over the PA system at high noon, Carnes was still staring. That's all, she says, but you didn't have time to. Oh, I did it day before yesterday, as soon as Javi materialized the innocent, and I knew it to be your favorite art. But damn it, we hadn't even thought of having you here then. But I had, sir. I fully intended to serve, one way or another, in this, your home. But of course I had no idea I would ever have such an honor as actually waiting on you at your table. Will you please give me your order, sirs, besides the eggs? You wish the eggs fried in butter, three of them apiece, and sunny side up. Uh-huh, with ham, Hilton said. I'll start with a jumbo shrimp cocktail, horseradish and ketchup sauce, heavy on the horseradish. Same for me, Karn said, but only half as much horseradish. And for the rest of it, Hilton went on, hash brown potatoes and buttered toast, plenty of extra butter, strong coffee from first to last, whipping cream and sugar on the side, for dessert, apple pie a la mode. You make me drool, Chief. Play that for me, please. Innocent all the way. Oh, you are you personally yourself, sir, renaming me innocent? If you'll sit still for it, yes. That is an incredible honor, sir. Simply unbelievable. I thank you. I thank you. Radiating happiness, she dashed away toward the kitchen. When the two men were full of food, they strolled over to a Davenport facing the fire. As they sat down, Innocent entered the room, carrying a tall, dewy mint julep on a tray. She was followed by another female figure bearing a bottle of a bigger neck and the upper attendances, which are its due. And at the first full sight of that figure, Hilton stopped breathing for fifteen seconds. Her hair was very thick, immensely black and long, cut squarely off just below the lowest points of her shoulder blades. Heavy brows and long lashes, eyes too, were all intensely, vividly black. Her skin was tanned to a deep and glowing almost, but not quite brown. Merchantson's dark lady! Hilton gasped. Larry, you, we've, I've got that painting here. Oh, yes, sir, the newcomer spoke before Larry could. At the other end, you're part of the room. You will look now, sir, please. Her voice was low, rich, and as smooth as cream. Putting her tray down carefully on the end table, she led him toward the other fireplace past the piano, past the tri-dye pit, past a towering grillwork holding art treasures by the score. Over to the left, against the wall, there was a big, business-like desk. On the wall, over the desk, hung the painting. 
a copy of which had been in Hilton's room for over eight years. He stared at it for at least a minute. He glanced around at the other priceless duplicates so prodigally present at his own guns arrayed above the mantel and on each side of the fireplace. Then, without a word, he started back to join Carnes. She walked springily beside him. What's your name, miss? he asked finally. I haven't earned any as yet, sir. My number is... Never mind that. Your name is Dark Lady. Oh, thank you, sir. That is truly wonderful. And Dark Lady sat cross-legged on the rug at Hilton's feet and busying herself with the aesthetic rites of old Avignon. Hilton took a deep inhalation and a small sip, then stared at Carnes. Carnes, over the rim of his glass, stared back. I can see where this would be habit-forming, Hilton said, and very deadly, extremely deadly. Every woosh granted, surrounded by all this. Carnes swept his arm through three-quarters of a circle, weighted on hand and foot by powerful men and by the materializations of the dreams of the greatest, finest artist who ever lived. Fatal. I don't know. My solid hope is that we never have to find out. And when you add in Innocent and Dark Lady, they look to be about seventeen. But the thought that they're older than the hills of Rome and powered by everlasting atomic engines. He broke off suddenly and blushed. Excuse me, please, girls. I know better than to talk about people that way. Right in front of them, I really do. Do you really think we're people? Innocent and Dark Lady squealed as one. That set Hilton back onto his heels. I don't know. I've wondered. Are you? Both girls silent looked at Larry. We don't know either. Larry said. At first, of course, there were crude, non-thinking machines. But when the guide attained its present status, the masters themselves could not agree. They divided about half and half on the point. They never did settle it any closer than that. I certainly won't try to, then. But for my money, you are people, Hilton said, and Carnes agreed. That, of course, touched off a near riot of joy, after which the two men made an inch-by-inch -inch study of their tremendous living room. Then, long after bedtime, Larry and Dark Lady escorted Hilton to his bedroom. Do you mind, sir, if we sleep on the floor at the sides of your bed? Larry asked. Or must we go out into the hall? Sleep? I didn't know you could sleep. It is not essential. However, when round-the-clock work is not necessary, and we have opportunity to sleep near a human being, we derive a great deal of pleasure and satisfaction from it. You see, sir, we also serve during sleep. Okay, I'll try anything once. Sleep wherever you please. Hilton began to peel, but before he had his shirt off, both Larry and Dark Lady were stretched out flat, sound asleep, 
one almost under each edge of his bed. He slid in between the sheets. It was the most comfortable bed he had ever slept in, and went to sleep as though sandbagged. He had time to wonder foggily whether the omens were in fact helping him go to sleep, and then he was asleep. A month passed. Eight couples had married, the Navy chaplain officiating, in the Perseus, of course, since the warship was, always and everywhere, an integral part of Terra. Sandra had dropped in one evening to see Hilton about a bit of business. She was now sitting, long dancer's legs outstretched toward the fire, with a cigarette in her left hand and a tall, cold drink on a coaster at her right. This is a wonderful room, Jarvis. It'll be perfect if it weren't quite so, so mannish. What do you expect a bachelor's hall? A boudoir? Don't tell me you're going domestic, Sandy, just because you've got a house. Not just that, no. But of course it helped it along. Alex is a mighty good man, one of the finest I have ever known. She eyed him for a moment in silence. Jarvis Hilton, you are one of the keenest, most intelligent men who ever lived. And yet... She broke off and studied him for a good half minute. Say, if I let my hair clear down, will you? Scout's oath. That, and yet, requires elucidation at any cost. I know. But first, yes... Yes, Alex, I never would have believed that any man ever born could hit me so hard. Soon, I don't want to be the first, but I won't be anywhere near the last. But tell me, you were really in love with Temple, weren't you, when I asked you? Yes. Huh. You are letting your hair down. That makes me feel better. Huh? Why should it? It elucidates the and yet no end. You were insulated from all other female charms by ye brazen bells. You see, most of us assistants made a kind of game out of seeing which of us could make you break the executive's code. And none of us made it. Teddy and Temple said you didn't know what was going on. Bev and I said nobody as smart as you are could possibly be that stupid. You aren't the type to leak or name names. Oh, I see. You are merely reporting a conversation. The game had interested but non-participating observers. Temple and Teddy, at least. At least, she agreed. But damn it, you aren't stupid. There isn't a stupid bone in your head. So it must be love. And if so, what about marriage? Why don't you and Temple make it a double with Alex and me? That's the most cogent thought you ever had. But setting the date is the bride's business. He glanced at his omen wristwatch. It's early yet. Let's skip over. I wouldn't mind seeing her a minute or two. Thy statement ringeth with truth, friend. Bill's there with Teddy. I imagine so. So we'll talk to them about making it a triple. Oh, nice. Let's go. They left the house and, her hand tucked under his elbow, walked up the street. 
Next morning, on her way to the Hall of Records, Sandra stopped off as usual at the office. The omens were all standing motionless. Hilton was leaning far back in his chair, feet on desk, hands clasped behind head, eyes closed. Knowing what that meant, she turned and started back out on tiptoe. However, he had heard her. Can you spare a couple of minutes to think at me, Sandy? Minutes or hours, Chief. Tooley placed a chair for her, and she sat down, facing him across his desk. Thanks, Cal. This time it's a stretch. Sawtell's been having nightmares, you know, ever since we emerged, about being attacked, and I've been poo-pooing the idea. But now it's a statistic that the soup is getting thicker, and I can't figure out why. Why in all the hells of space should a stasis that has lasted for over a quarter of a million years be broken at this exact time? The only possible explanation is that we caused the break. And anyway, I look at that concept, it's plain idiocy. Both were silent for minutes, and then it was demonstrated again that Terra's advisory board had done better than it knew in choosing Sandra Cummings to be Jarvis Hilton's working mate. We did cause it, Jarv, she said finally. They knew we were coming, even before we got to fuel men. They knew we were human and tried to wipe out the omens before we got there. Primitive warfare, you know. They couldn't have known, he snorted. Threat detectors are no better than omens. And you know what Sam Bryant had to say about them. I know, Sandra grinned appreciatively. It's becoming a classic, but it couldn't have been any other way. Besides, I know they did. He stared at her helplessly, then swung on Larry. Does that make sense to you? Yes, sir. The Struts could pay her on there as well as the old masters could, and they undoubtedly still can and do. Okay, it does make sense then. He absented himself in thought, then came to life with a snap. Okay. The next thing on the agenda is a Christ-priority try at a Parondex team. Tootie, you organized a team to generate Satura. Can you do the same for Parondex? If we can find the ingredients, yes, sir. I had a hunch, Larry. Please ask Teddy Blake's omen to bring her in here. I'll be running along then. Sandra started to get up. I hope to kiss a green pig you won't, Hilton snapped. You're one of the biggest wheels. Larry, we'll want Temple Bells and Beverly Bell for a start. Chief, you positively amaze me, Sandra said then. Every time you get one of these attacks of genius, or whatever it is, you have me gasping like a fish. Just what can you possibly want of that bell? Whatever it was that enabled her to hit the target against odds of almost infinity to one. Not just once, but time after time. By definition, intuition. What quality did you use just now in getting me off the hook? Intuition? What makes Teddy Blake such an unerring performer? Intuition again. 
My hunches? Their intuition, too. Intuition. Hell. Labels. Based on utterly absolute, damned, dumb ignorance of our own basic frames of reference. Do you think those four kinds of intuitions are alike? My 7,000 rolls of apple trees. Of course not. I see what you're getting at. Oh, this'll be fun. The others came in and, one by one, truly examined each of the four women and the man. Each felt the probing, questioning feelers of her thought prying into the deepest recesses of his mind. There is not quite enough of each of three components, all of which are usually associated with the male. You, sir, have much of each, but not enough. I know your men quite well, and I think we will need the doctor's Kincaid and Carnes and Pointer. But such deep probing is felt. Have I permission, sir? Yes. Tell them I said so. Truly scant. Yes, sir. We should have all three. Get them, Larry. Then in the pause that followed. Sandy, remember yelling about too many sweeties on a team? What do you think of this business of all sweeties? All that proved is that nobody can be wrong all the time, she replied flippantly. The three men arrived and were instructed. Tooley said, The great trouble is that each of you must use a portion of your mind that you do not know you have. You, this one. You, that one. Tooley probed mercilessly so pungently that each in turn flinched under brand new and almost unbearable pain. With you, Dr. Hilton, it will be by far the worst, for you must learn to use almost all the portions of both your minds, the conscious and the unconscious. This must be because you are the actual paleindexer. The others merely supply energies in which you yourself are deficient. Are you ready for a terrible shock, sir? Shoot. He thought for a second that he had been shot, that his brain had blown up. He couldn't stand it. He knew he was going to die. He wished he could die. Anything, anything whatever, to end this unbearable agony. It ended. Writhing, white and sweating, Hilton opened his eyes. Ouch! he remarked conversationally. What next? You will seize hold of the energies your friends offer. You will bind them to yours and shape the whole into a dimensionless sphere of pure, controlled, dirigible energy. And, as well as being the binding force, the cohesiveness, you must also be the captain and the pilot and the astrogator and the ultimately complex computer itself. But how can I? Okay, damn it, I will. Of course you will, sir. Remember also that once the joinings are made, I can be of very little more assistance, for my pay index is as nothing compared to that of your fusion of eight. Now, to assemble the energies and join them, you will, altogether, deny the existence of the sum total of reality as you know it. Distance does not exist. Every point in the reachable universe 
coincides with every other point, and that common point is the focus of your attention. You can be, and actually are, anywhere you please, or everywhere at once. Time does not exist. Space does not exist. There is no such thing as opacity. Everything is perfectly transparent. Yet every molecule of substance is perceptible in its relationship to every other molecule in the cosmos. Senses do not exist. Sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell, sahara, endobex, all are parts of the one great sense of peyondex. I am guiding each of you seven closer, tighter, there. Seize it, sir. And when you work the stretch, you must fix it clearly that time does not exist. You must work in millions of microseconds instead of in minutes, for they have minds of tremendous power. Reality does not exist. Compress it more, sir. Tighter, smaller, rounder. There, hold it. Reality does not exist. Distance does not exist. All possible points are wonderful. Tuli screamed a word and a thought. Goodbye. Good luck. End of chapter 7. End of part 1.